please turn in your Bible to the second book, Exodus, chapter 20. Uh, and that's found on page 54 here in Fairfield. And today uh, we continue our study on the second section of the Ten Commandments. In this series, uh, we've noticed two things about the Ten Commandments. Uh, first, we notice that the commands are all set in a relational context. And then second, we notice that these relational commands can be split into two sections where the first four commands are vertical and uh, focus on my relationship with God. And then the rest of the commands are horizontal in focus and uh, apply to my relationships with people. Today, we continue addressing the horizontal uh, commands by studying the seventh commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, which reads simply, you shall not commit adultery. On the surface, the seventh commandment seems like God's simple demand that married people refuse sexual intimacy with anyone other than their spouse. But scripture teaches that God has both this and something deeper in mind. Uh, starting with the three books of Moses that follow Exodus and then continuing through the Old Testament prophets to Jesus and then to the apostles, God supplies pages upon pages on the implications of this seventh commandment. And in these pages, God makes it clear that in this world, in this word adultery, he is not just commanding against something destructive, but much more. God is commanding toward something constructive. God is commanding husbands and wives to commit to honor each other, protect each other, find contentment in each other, and enjoy each other. Uh, this deeper concept begins with a proper understanding of the word adultery. The Hebrew word for adultery in the seventh commandment is a word that is reserved exclusively for breaking a marriage vow. So in the seventh commandment, God is not putting primary emphasis on sex outside marriage. God is instead putting the emphasis on faithfulness inside marriage. Uh, God is not just commanding against affairs. God is pushing for marriages that are so fulfilling, so exciting, so healthy that they are affair proof. So with the scriptural implications of the seventh commandment in mind, let's study seven commitments of a healthy marriage. And I considered calling this list the seven commitments of an affair-proof marriage, uh, but I decided against that for several reasons, including the fact that I don't want to apply, imply that couples who have suffered an affair can't have healthy marriages. They can. And in fact, I know I am speaking to many couples who are... Uh, together and have a story of how they climbed out of an affair to a happy marriage. 
I also understand that I am talking to um, many people who have suffered through a divorce. And I understand that this topic may draw out for you uh, some hard feelings, but I would ask you to transfer whatever negative energy comes out of this topic, and I would ask you to channel it into something positive. Uh, knowing the pain of divorce, I would ask you to pray for marriages right now who are on the edge of collapse. Um, I ask you to support these, uh, these married people, some of whom are on the brink. Uh, and let's just all focus for a minute in a way that maybe God could bring a new faithfulness to our marriages through these seven commitments of a healthy marriage, where the first commitment is keep your marriage vows. Uh, there is some truth to the statement that Every marriage would be healthy if husbands and wives would just keep the promises that they made to each other on their wedding day. It is true that most marriage problems could be solved if spouses just did what they promised to do. Uh, if you're married today, it's because one day, however long ago, uh, you made a promise that went something like this. You said to your spouse, I take you to be my husband. I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love you, to cherish you until death parts us. And I promise to keep myself only unto you so long as we both shall live. Just notice what you promised. You promised to demonstrate love regardless of the circumstances. You promised to hold on no matter what. You promised that you would be loving whether you received love or not. You promised that you would keep loving whether the circumstances were better or worse, richer or poorer, healthy or unhealthy. So the first rule to affair-proofing your marriage is deciding up front that you made a promise to your spouse and that you are going to be good to your word. Listen, I know that there are rare cases of abusing or abandoning spouses, uh, and you need to get out of a dangerous situation. But for every one of these cases, there are a thousand good marriages that go bad because people just don't keep their promises. Far too many people, including believers in Jesus, feel free to toss out their promise because we live in a society and culture that doesn't take wedding promises very seriously anymore. But if you follow Jesus in the seventh commandment, God wants you to know that God still takes your wedding promise with extreme seriousness. God chisels his feelings in stone. God says, I consider marriage vows sacred, and I expect my people to keep their promises. In the seventh commandment, God demands that his people decide up front 
that vow breaking is off the table and that unfaithfulness is not an option. God demands this because he knows that my only chance for willpower to overcome the obstacles that will come to my marriage is if I before, before I hit the challenges, I make the decision that I am going to keep my vow to my spouse and the vow I made before God no matter what. God knows that if I'm wishy-washy about my promise, then when the storms come, I will end up negotiating with my feelings and compromising with my desires and my drives, and I will lose the battle. In James chapter 1, verse 8, God says that a double-minded man or woman is unstable in everything he or she does. In other words, God promises that a double-minded, wishy-washy person will never experience security in this life. Because part of experiencing God's peace in this life is making up my mind about certain things. Like making up my mind that I always keep my promise. But notice that your wedding vows are not just promises to avoid destruction. Uh, Your wedding vows are mostly promises to be constructive, which leads to the second commitment for a healthy marriage. Keep looking out for number one. The second uh, commitment in an affair-proof marriage is to make sure that you are looking out for number one. And according to the Bible, if you are married, then the number one person in your life is your spouse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, through the Apostle Paul, God indicates that it is the husband's duty to put his wife first by pleasing his wife. And God indicates that it is the wife's duty to put her husband first by pleasing him. A healthy marriage starts with a commitment to make my spouse's needs my top priority. Not my kids' needs, uh, not my parents' needs, not my boss's needs or my co-workers or my friends. For a healthy marriage, my top priority must be making my spouse number one by knowing and meeting my spouse's needs. And when it comes to meeting my spouse's needs, once again, I must look out for number one, which means that I must make it my uh my duty in life to make sure I am meeting my spouse's number one need. Uh, Most affairs, I'm told, start because uh, the wife's number one need is not met by her husband or the husband's number one need is not met by his wife. And this is where we get into some uh, generalities about the uh, differing needs of women and men in marriage. And here I will be drawing on a helpful book by a Christian counselor named William uh, Willard Harley. In his book, His Needs, Her Needs, Harley says that generally a woman's number one need in marriage is what he calls affection. 
And by affection, uh, he means that the number one uh, need of a wife is a husband who is emotionally engaged and available. Uh, What does it mean for a man to be emotionally engaged and available for his wife? Well, the writer Ella Wilcox uh, tries to put this into some poetic words as she describes a woman who is emotionally abandoned by her husband. She writes, One faithful day when earth seemed very dull, it suddenly grew bright and beautiful. I spoke a little, and he, a new man, listened much. There was a tension in his eyes and such a note of comradeship in his low tone. I felt no more alone. There was a kindly interest in his air. He spoke about the way I dressed my hair. He praised me for the gown I wore. It seemed like a thousand, thousand years and more since I had been so noticed. Had my ear been used to compliments year after year, if I had heard you, my husband, speak as this man spoke, I would not have been so weak. Now listen to this, she says. The innocent beginning of all my sinning was just the woman's craving to be brought into the inner shrine of some man's thought. You held me there as sweetheart and as bride, but then as wife, you left me far outside. So far, so far, you could not hear me call. You might. You should have saved me from my fall. I was not bad, just lonely. That's all. Now, there's a lot of... uh, dangerous rationalizing going on in this uh, little poem. But, you know, her point is a good one. And that is affection just might be the number one need of a wife, where affection is tender touches and I love yous and periods of attentive conversation, where a husband shows interest in exchanging thoughts and feelings and experiences. Husbands, if affection is your wife's number one need, then as part of fulfilling your marriage vows, you make it your top priority in life to meet that number one goal, which is that number one need of your wife. Well, what does Harley say about the husband's number one need? Here I would like to quote him. Quote, A husband's number one need from his wife is that she be sexually engaged and available to him. When a man chooses a wife, he promises to remain faithful to her for life. This means that he believes his wife will be his only sexual partner until death do us part. He makes this commitment because he trusts her to be as sexually interested in him as he is in her. He trusts her to be sexually available to him and meet his sexual needs just as she trusts him to meet her needs for affection. Unfortunately, in many marriages, the man finds that putting his trust in this woman has turned into one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He has agreed to limit his sexual experience to a wife who is unwilling to meet this need. If his convictions are strong, he may try to make the best of it. Some husbands tough it out, but many cannot. They find sex elsewhere.
Now, it strikes me that this quote contains a lot of that same dangerous rationalizing that we saw in the poem. But, again, the point is clear. Just as a wife needs her husband to be emotionally engaged and available, a husband needs his wife to be sexually engaged and available. So this is Harley's research on the number one needs of husbands and wives. Maybe you don't agree. Maybe you say, that's not my number one need. It's okay to disagree with this guy. The point is, just make sure that your spouse knows what your number one need is in marriage. You say, well, my husband should know. I've told him a thousand times. Or, I'm not going to say it again. I've told her forever about my number one need. Don't play those games. Your vow to each other is to not give up. Use this message as an occasion to reopen this crucial conversation with your spouse. Start by asking your spouse, what is your biggest need and how can I better meet your need in our marriage? And when you find out, make it your number one priority in life to meet this number one need. Overcome your worn-out excuses for not meeting your spouse's needs. And then be honest and let your spouse know what your need is. Honesty is so important. Which leads to the third commitment for a healthy marriage. Keep resolving conflict. When two people live together, there will be disagreements and hurt feelings. Uh, conflict is inevitable in marriage. But ongoing feuds and uh, ongoing silent treatments, that is unacceptable. In order to have a healthy marriage, a husband and a wife must commit to resolving conflict by being honest enough to bring up hurts quickly by being humble enough to apologize sincerely and being Christ-like enough to forgive completely. The hardest part for me as a husband is uh, being courageous enough to honestly bring up issues. Um, I find that uh, when I should tell Jen uh, how she has offended me, uh, many times I... I chicken out, and I just don't say anything. For instance, I am the one who uh, stocks our family refrigerator with soda cans. And uh, I'm happy to do this because I know how good it can taste just to have that cold soda ready for you uh, when you need it. What I'm not happy about is that whenever I want a cold drink, there are no cans in the refrigerator. And uh, someone has taken the last can of soda. And the culprit here is not my kids. Uh, my kids aren't allowed to have soda uh, because uh, they have amazing parents uh, who won't allow them to have bad drinks like that. Uh, so when I want a cold soda, uh, then there are no cans. I know who the culprit is. But do I tell her about it? No, I figure this is a small thing and it shouldn't bother me, uh, so I keep it inside until I find myself agitated. I find myself speaking to a friend about the problem, and clearly I just need to you know, man up and tell her about it uh, just out of a courageous commitment to resolve conflict in our marriage. 
Well, Jenna's out of town today. Um, <laughs> uh, she's in the Midwest visiting family. But I know that she will be watching this uh, sermon uh, by video. So, uh, honey, stop taking the last can of soda. See, it's that easy to be courageous in your marriage. It just had to be done. Do it when your wife is a thousand miles away. I recommend that. Uh, I'm kidding. We've talked about this, uh, and the soda topic is just part of our commitment uh, to resolving conflict. And now, nobody in my house drinks soda. So, uh, the fourth commitment is uh, keep vigilant over your thought life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully and has, has already committed adultery in his or her heart. I think it is helpful to notice two things about the Greek behind the words looks lustfully. Uh, first, I think it's important to note that the word lust means desire. And so the issue is desiring another person who is not my spouse. A husband must guard against desiring another woman to fulfill his sexual needs. And a wife must guard against looking at another man with a desire to fulfill emotional or relational needs. Second, it's important to note that the grammar for looks lustfully is in the Greek present tense of continuation, which means that the translation should be anyone who keeps on looking lustfully has already committed adultery in the heart. Uh, because Jesus is not talking about a glance or a sudden observation that someone is attractive or desirable. Jesus is talking about the fact that a fair proof in your marriage means that you refuse to entertain thoughts of breaking your marriage vows by turning to another person. Which leads to the fifth commitment for a healthy marriage, which is... Keep away from temptation. In the marketplace today, it is common for men and women to work side by side very closely uh, for long periods of time and even to travel together uh, for business. A fair proof in your marriage means setting up no-nonsense boundaries between you and your co-workers of the opposite sex. Uh, this includes verbal boundaries. Uh, be extremely cautious uh, about discussing marriage problems with a co-worker of the opposite sex. Uh, never flirt. And if anyone flirts with you, shut it down and leave no ambiguities. Going back to Jesus' words about the danger of mental desire, if you have a strong attraction uh, for someone on the job or anywhere else, keep your contacts with that individual to a minimum. There may be no way to, uh, to have no contact with that person, uh, but maybe God is 
giving you a strong message, if that's the case, to do something drastic. Maybe he's telling you it's time for a job change uh, because you need to do whatever is necessary to keep yourself from temptation that could destroy your life. Let's move from the negative now to the positive. Uh, The sixth commitment to a healthy marriage is keep your marriage growing. Uh, Surveys taken of affair-scarred marriages reveal a common complaint. Our marriage became a bore. The sixth commitment to a healthy marriage is to promote the opposite of boredom. Uh, By committing to have fun together, to make memories together, and commit to growing your marriage together. Uh, With this in mind, let me introduce something that uh, is only for those married couples uh, who want to be happy. Uh, Let me suggest something that is only for those who really want to um, keep their marriage growing instead of uh, allowing it to be ho-hum or go into a, a slow decline. Well, here's the challenge. It's the one year growing marriage challenge. And in this challenge, you are encouraged over a one-year period to do three, I think, relatively simple things. The first one is pray together as a couple at least once a week. Two, have a date night together as a couple at least once a month. And then finally, engage in at least one marriage enrichment Activity over the course of the year. Uh, along with this challenge, your church wants to support you by offering you some resources that will help you make this a joy-filled experience for your marriage. If you get on the BlackRock Marriage Ministry webpage, and the address is there in front of you, and you sign up for this challenge, uh, we will send you a monthly tip sheet Uh, that will give you some great ideas for your prayer time together, uh, some good ideas for your date night, and some marriage enrichment activities coming up on the schedule. And by marriage enrichment activities, we mean reading, say, a marriage book or listening to a, a, a biblical teaching on CD and then discussing it as a couple or uh, developing a marriage mentoring relationship with another couple. Or here's, of course, the best uh, marriage enrichment activity anywhere, and that is the BlackRock Marriage Retreat uh, coming up in two weeks, June 8th to 10. Uh, Would you sign up for this retreat today, get a jump on the uh, marriage uh, challenge, and uh, make a note also to get online later and sign up for this growing marriage challenge. And if you take this challenge, if you take... uh, your marriage to the next level, uh, you will be fulfilling the best um, decision that you can make uh, for your marriage. It seems so simple to schedule a date night. But you know what? Um, Studies show that a date night has profound positive effects on a marriage. The University of Virginia uh, had a study that found that regular date nights uh, uh, build five crucial uh, strengths into a marriage, including commitment and communication and romance. So take the challenge. Finally, the seventh commitment for a healthy marriage is to keep seeking God's blessing. 
Most weddings include a uh, prayer for God's blessing. And that's a good start uh, for a marriage. But it's infinitely better for a couple to keep on, as a married couple, keep on coming to God to over and over ask for his blessing. This is why prayer is the first part of our one-year growing marriage challenge. Couples stay together as they pray together. Uh, Pray for guidance. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. Pray for your children. Keep seeking God's blessing on your marriage because happy marriages are truly made in heaven. You probably heard of uh, Felix Mendelssohn, the great German composer. Well, his grandfather's name was Moses. And Moses Mendelssohn was a kind man who loved God. He was also very short and had a grotesque hunchback. As a single man, uh, Moses visited a merchant in Hamburg uh, who had a beautiful daughter named Frumti. And Moses spent a long time in Hamburg and grew to adore uh, Frumti. Uh, Although this lovely young woman admired Moses for his inner qualities, she was repulsed by the deformity on his back. Uh, The time came for... uh, Moses to leave Hamburg and realizing it was his last chance to win uh, this heart, Frimpti received a visit from Moses and uh, he tried to engage her in conversation, but Frimpti wouldn't even look him in the eyes. Then Moses uh, did ask her, Frimpti, do you believe that marriages are made in heaven? And still looking away from him, she answered, yes, Moses, I do. And Moses said, good, because it's true uh, that marriages are made in heaven. In fact, at the birth of each boy, the Lord announces which girl he will marry. And when I was born, the Lord pointed to you. And the Lord said, as you can see, Moses, this girl Frumpty has a hunchback. And right then and there, I said, Lord, Frumpty is much too beautiful for that. Please let her be perfect. And give me the hunchback. At that moment, uh, Frumpty looked into the eyes of Moses. And for the first time, when she looked into her eyes, she saw that he really did have that kind of unselfish love for her. He saw that he would have done that and much more out of his love for her. So she looked past his deformity, looked into his eyes and loved the love that she saw there. She gave her hand to Moses Mendelssohn and became his wife, and they lived happily ever after. Good marriages are made in heaven. And when you ask God to bless your marriage, He will bless. And the chief way God will bless your marriage is by teaching you how to love your spouse with His unselfish love. God wants to teach you how to look past deformity in your spouse, to love what's inside. God wants to teach you how to love in a way that is sacrificial and puts your spouse and your spouse's needs first. God wants to teach you how to forgive your spouse just like God forgives you. God will bless your marriage and make it a marriage made in heaven when you truly commit to the full meaning of the seventh commandment. God will lead you.
to the best life when you follow the roadmap for relationships.